I have been trying to do the right thing for my entire life by following a certain set of rules that doesn't exist. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today, we are going to be talking about a, a, a super millennial topic of just like figuring out what you want to do. And I feel like this is about the millennial urge to like figure out. To, to how, throw away your whole yeah, life and then start yeah, over. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I have. I, I still battle with that. I have the dream that I would pursue if I were to throw my life away. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what is it? It's be a chef. Yeah, that's what I would yeah. do. Um, today we're joined by my friend Via, who I know I've known for a long time. We were on the ultimate team together. Um, and Via, you're like one of the coolest people I know. I feel like given just like the stuff that you have done, like working in wilderness therapy and like wanting to just like do art and like, you know, just like you think really deeply about stuff. So I'm really glad that we're having this conversation with you. Um, but why don't you just like give a quick, um, little intro for the listeners, just, you know, whatever you think they should know about you. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm someone who graduated with a degree in anthropology and then had no idea what to do with that. And (laughs) (laughs) probably as most anthropology graduates have found um, and have been going through the process of doing things that I find interesting and meaningful and being really unsure the whole time. Um, and right now, yeah, I'm trying to figure out if grad school is the right path for me or um, finding more ways to work with my hands and make make art. So, yeah. Thanks for having me. Seems like you have a really interesting story, Via, that I think maybe it would make sense for you to run through. Well, so you want me to explain, like, why I'm doing what I'm doing right now, like in terms of like how my life is all like upside down? Or I would say like if you were to explain if you were like if you were just to like, you know, meet someone at a bar and they're like, oh, what are you doing? And you're like to pick you had to like pick somewhere to start and like, you know, explain like how you're like. I'll start with what I'm literally doing right now, which is living at home with my parents in the house I grew up in in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, And I'm working part time at a stained glass studio. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I just finished applying to four masters of design, like graduate programs. Um, and I don't even know if I definitely want to, like if I get into one or all of these programs, I don't even know if that's something I, I actually wanted to follow through with, but I wanted to give myself that option. Um, and I guess to take like a couple of steps back, I I got to this point where I I was working, I was living in Utah. I was working in mental health. Um, I had a pretty like solid job working um, for a residential psychiatric like stabilization program. Um, I loved my boss. I loved the program the work itself wasn't that interesting. And, um, I think that's eventually what kind of moved me to look for something that was actually engaging me. Um, I find I need to have like 
really engaging work. I get really bored easily. And um, the type of work that I was doing was like pretty administrative. Um, and, and the interesting stuff would come in in spurts, um, like actually dealing with clients and problem solving and coming up with like systems. Those are all things that I really enjoyed. Um, but after, after doing that for two years, I, I had had this idea kind of tumbling around in my head where it didn't really feel like a possibility, but, um, I like to just play with it where I was like, what if I could just spend a year making things, um, like making art? I really love making things with my hands, experimenting with, um, like different crafts. I like to kind of reverse engineer things that I find. Um, and I find that when I do those things, I get really sucked into them. And I, I find myself wishing that I could just spend like a whole week or like a month just doing that. Um, and so I, I have an ADHD coach I work with and I mentioned that to her offhandedly. And she was like, well, why don't you think that's a possibility? I was like, well, cause it costs like, I wouldn't have a job and, and just kind of explain all these <laughs> problems. Um, and she's just so wonderful. She, she was like, I don't know, like, let's just pretend that this is something that's possible. Like what would have to happen? Um, and we started walking through it and slowly it became this thing that was actually a reality. And like, yeah, by the end of, the spring of last year, I had put in my notice at work and had a plan to, to do that. Um, and so what the plan ended up being was that I was going to spend like a year um, spending like four to six weeks on like individual projects that are either stuff that I've, I have experience with so like I do these Lithuanian Easter eggs, I do tie dye, like some basket weaving, some just like random craft. Um, and my hope was to just do a deep dive on um, a couple of the projects that I already am familiar with. And then also to just expose myself to new projects um, and teach myself and kind of do like independent study. Um, and by the end of the year to have like a, a portfolio of sorts of like, hey, look, this is this is a year's worth of like just deep dives into making things with my hands before leaving Utah. I think another thing is that I was living in Salt Lake for four and a half years at that point. Um, and I just had this itch to leave, um, and see how badly I would want to come back. Um, cause I, when I moved to Utah, I didn't really expect it to be a place that I would stay for a while. Um, but it had grown, become like home. Um, and also Salt Lake's just, it's weird. It's not. It's, Salt Lake is dope. Yeah. So part of it was like, I'm going to leave and, and I want to leave and find a different environment and just see how much I miss Salt Lake and um, just kind of get a, get a better sense of like, you know, take zoom out. Um, and so I decided to also spend the summer working at the wilderness therapy program that I had originally gone to Utah to work at. Yeah. Can you like, I don't know if everyone would necessarily know what wilderness therapy means. No. Yeah. So yeah. can you just give a little like synopsis? Totally. It's a type of mental health intervention 
that looks like taking teenagers who are struggling um, and sending them against their will to <laughs> in Utah. Well, like I said, it's controversial and there are definitely some problematic aspects to it. Um, I will also say that there's been a lot of bad press about it. Um, and historically there have been some like pretty shitty programs that have been like genuinely bad places, abusive, not therapeutically based. Um, yeah. And those have gotten a lot of press and for what it's worth, the program that I found, um, is a small program owner operated, um, people with direct care experience. And I found that a a lot of people who've gone through the program, like really got a lot out of it. Um, but what the actual program does is it takes kids for eight to 12 weeks and they, they live in the desert with staff, um, the whole time. And then they get to do therapy uh, twice a week with a therapist who comes out into the field. And it's a lot about kind of giving them agency, like teaching them that like they do have agency and that there's these skills that they just haven't been tapping into. We get a lot of kids, the the program that I worked with um, focused only on teenage boys um, because they're chronically underserved in terms of, um, you know, mental health. And so they, they show up with just more issues and the program that I worked at has a very strong like DBT foundation. And so we teach them DBT skills. Wait, what does that mean? Sorry. Dialectical behavior therapy. Um, it's a, it's a type of therapy. Um, I think a lot of people are mostly familiar probably with CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, but DBT is a lot from what I remember, it's, it's, it's just a lot about um, emotional regulation, mindfulness, um, interpersonal skills. And then I'm forgetting there's like one more. There's like four pillars. Yeah. So the kids, the kids come and they, they uh, are pretty miserable, but usually end up in a better spot after they, they leave. What, what are they usually struggling with? Is it stuff like depression? Is it like drug stuff like what is it what do you mostly see well there, there's co-occurring stuff right so I, I think everyone shows up with some amount of you know mental health issues that haven't been addressed definitely just mostly mental health super common is depression anxiety um a lot of these kids are just really they're just boys who haven't been taught how to express their emotions and to, to interact um, in healthy ways and have challenging dynamics at home with their parents. Like parents are, are, are totally part of the equation too. Um, and so there's, there's family work that they do also. It's not just they, the kid gets sent away. And it's like, Oh, you fixed my kid. And we'll be, we'll be waiting for him when, when he's done. Yeah. Yeah. So I decided to go back and spend a summer working that job again because the community is wonderful and um it gives you the freedom to do other things um on your off shifts because as a staff you work for eight days and then you have six days off um Mm -hmm. and it goes on like that and so a lot of people 
live out of their cars and don't pay rent and just go adventure and are dirt bags all around <laughs> mountains in the desert. Were you a dirt bag? You know, when I showed up, I was not. Um, and I think I'm still not someone who is like so easygoing and like will just kind of pick up and go anywhere without a plan. Um, but that was what I ended up doing last summer is I outfitted my car to be able to live out of it with my dog. And, um, the plan was to just spend the summer having fun, um, kind of like a last hurrah in Utah, um, before I said goodbye. So I imagine that was really intense being like, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, you just had this, I'm sure like really intense experience doing wilderness therapy. I can only imagine that it has to be intense. And then like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm just getting in my car with my dog and like <laughs> going off into the world. Like, what were you thinking at that time? Or like, what were you feeling? Well, so, so this is where like life got, you know, interesting and plans changed. Um, I met someone at the beginning of the summer and we started dating and kind of by the end of the summer reached a point where there was a question of, well, should we do long distance or should we try to see how all this will work? Because we were really excited about each other. Um, And part of what I had set up for myself is that I was going to be living with a family, well, with my friend's family in New Hampshire. Um, His parents were kind enough to offer to let me live with them rent-free while I did my project. So a big part of like, the financial viability of this project was not having to pay rent. Um, but my partner who I'd met over the summer uh, was working at a school where it was a boarding school and I could live there rent free also. And so it was kind of like this sixes of, you know, where, where I could live. And so I decided to try living with my partner at the school um, just and and work on my project from there. Um, And so this is where we're going to get to the part where things started not (laughs) to go well. We quickly realized that there was some pretty unhealthy attachment patterns. And um, yeah, then I I moved out and didn't want to go straight to living with um, my friend's parents, uh, just being in such a vulnerable place and was like, well, I guess my option is Chicago with my parents and, um, ended up here kind of unsure of, of what things were going to look like. Um, at that point I had pretty much abandoned my project idea. Um, it didn't feel realistic or appealing. I think I was I was just not feeling very confident in myself at that point. Um, and had also been tossing around this idea of applying to grad schools um, as like an end goal and realized. And so this is, I think, where the stuff about like making decisions and figuring things out and how do you, how do you decide a life path mm-hmm. um, kind of started to come in because when I had actually started working on, I had started a a basket weaving project um, when I was living with my partner 
and was just feeling really overwhelmed and unstructured. And there's just, I had anticipated that it would be difficult to be completely self-directed. Um, but I was lacking a lot of other types of support. And when I was talking to my dad at one point, we kind of worked our way backwards. He's like, well, what do you want out of this? Like, you know, in a couple of years, where, where do you want to be? And I was like, well, I kind of want to have a job. Like, that would be really nice. Money. I have to make money. And he's like, okay, well, would you, what kind of job? And I don't know. I was like, I'm not entirely sure, but I also think I want to go to school. He's like, okay. So all these things, like, let's work our way backwards. Um, and realize that it would probably be a good idea to apply to these graduate design programs that I was interested in. Um, and then make decisions later if to see if that was the right fit for me. Um, but it, it also, it felt a little uncomfortable kind of choosing a direction um, and saying that like, yeah, actually I'm thinking about grad school and having to follow through with the process without knowing for sure that that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's the hard thing about grad school. It's like, sometimes you feel like you have an inkling, like, oh, this is something I feel like I might want to do, but you know, there's only, you can only go so far in that track before you have to make some pretty hard commitments. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Both like monetarily and like, just like time wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm 29 and I'm going to be 30 in May. And it just like, it, there's this pressure where I'm like, I don't know. The world doesn't feel like this place of like endless time and opportunity. Well, actually there's, it feels like there's a lot of opportunities that I don't feel like I have time to just go and kind of slowly pick my way through things. Um, so what kind of design programs are you applying to? Are they like, when I, when I hear design, I think of like graphic design, but I feel like there's probably design programs that are more focused with like designing like physical items or things like that. Um, so I actually was looking specifically at design programs that, um, take design and apply it in a really broad sense. Um, cause like you were saying they're traditionally design is focused in like really specific disciplines. So like interior design, architecture, urban planning, um, graphic design, all those things. Um, and I'm not sure that I want to focus on something so specific. Um, but when I was researching some of these programs, there were some that kind of take design and apply it. So there's a school in New York. I didn't end up applying because I just couldn't imagine myself living in New York City. Um, but the School of Visual Arts, they have a specific program called Design for Social, Innova Social Innovation. Um, and so it, it's kind of this more like higher level thinking of, you know, how can we influence um, our society? How can we change how we do things? Um, creating like creative interventions. Um, and to be honest, like I'm still not entirely convinced that getting a degree in this is the most effective way to go about like getting this kind of experience and doing this kind of work. One of the things that I think about a lot um, around this conversation of like figuring out like what you're going to do is there's this, re I really should have sent this beforehand, but there's this really good, um, 
like article on this blog that I follow, Wait But Why, that talks about like, okay, oh, do you know what you, you you've heard of it or you read it? I, yeah, I love Wait But Why. Yeah. And do, so do you know the article I'm talking about where he's talking about like the octopus where you're like trying to um, like figure out what you want to do and you're in the process of evaluating your various like values and like there's this process that you have to go through where you interrogate each of them and it's like a little bit of a Scooby-Doo-esque kind of scene where you like, you know, take the mask off and you're like, oh, this wasn't my value at all. Like this was just something I got from my parents and this is just something I got from my teachers or like, you know, I, you know, I didn't necessarily derive this for myself. Like I need to go through this process of figuring out like what I actually think is like important to prioritize in terms of how I make my decisions. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I actually haven't seen that one. So it sounds like I should check it out. But. Yeah, I can send it to you after this. It's really good. It's very long, obviously, but because um, <laughs> all those posts are like insanely long. <laughs> um, but I I feel like that's such a good uh, like his his whole analogy for like, you know, how to go through this process, I feel like is is a really good one in terms of being like, oh, yeah, like. You know, maybe I I am just receiving a lot of these values from my environment in ways that I don't necessarily I didn't necessarily interrogate. And I and I like, you know, maybe if I thought a little bit more about it, I wouldn't agree with it, you know, and it's so hard to parse that out. Right. And like go through that process. Yeah. And honestly, applying to grad school, you know, whether or not I actually go through with with pursuing a degree, you know, the process of actually writing a personal statement and coming up with a portfolio, you know, it, it forces you to, I was just talking to my friend last night about this. It was like a forced journal prompt that you think really, really, really hard about. Right. And, um, but yeah, it got me to really distill a lot of my own values. And I actually learned, I learned some things about myself and was able to kind of trace, um, trace an arc in my life that I hadn't really identified like super strongly before. What did you learn? I learned that I have been trying to do the right thing for my entire life um, by following a certain set of rules that doesn't exist. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that I've been resisting following my actual talents and passions. I've been keeping these things on the side as like, well, that that's just something that's kind of fun. And then there's this other side of me that needs to make really practical and risk-free decisions. I feel like you're really a great example of like the classic millennial problem of like square peg round hole, like square peg being, you know, like society's path for you and round hole being like what actually brings you joy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, there's something in, in you that is resonating, I think a little more because I think most people are just like, all right, well, you know, we're going to do this nine to five and then figure and then be, just be a little sad about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't seem like that doesn't seem like you it doesn't seem like an option for you. Like even if you kind of settle and do something that, you know, maybe you're not entirely stoked about, it's still probably is not going to be like a desk job. Am I reading that right? Yeah, I think that's true. And Maybe maybe it's just part of like I I have really unrealistic standards and like expectations for like what I could possibly get out of life. But I think I've also been really rewarded by not being satisfied with those things. Um, 
Well, I feel like it's hard to say what's quote unquote realistic, right? Because I feel yeah. like when you go to like a you know a university, like when you go to liberal arts school, right? They're basically oriented towards preparing you for the desk job, right? And like most jobs, like are not really white collar jobs like that, right? So it's sort of like a warped, like how you know. It's like really hard to have any kind of perspective on like what is quote unquote realistic. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like, like I had yeah. no sense of like, I mean, like, I'm sorry, Swarthmore, but career services did nothing. For nothing. Me. Right. <laughs> totally nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you feel? What was like the nature of Swarthmore's career services? Because I'm, I'm interested to compare it to my like state school experience. Mm-hmm. I think it was basically you go and they like I I actually literally had they did one of those tests where like right yeah yeah, yeah. where yeah. you like answer all oh, of they those Myers questions you. <laughs> and then I think that and it spits out like here are like ten professions that you might enjoy and then mine was like hotel concierge and like something like that I'm just like okay <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this like <laughs> you know yeah that is about this. Wow. That's my experience too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm an anthropology major. Like, what what can I do with this? And I got no answers, basically. Right. They're like, dude, we don't care. You're already paying us. Yeah. <laughs> what was your what did you, what, what what was your experience, DeAndre? To be fair, I should you know, I should precurse this by saying that I was in like the business school, you know. So there's already I think a certain way these kinds of things go down, but there were like, you know, the career centers putting on a career fair. There are like three or four career fairs throughout the year that like they would have people come into your class and coach you to get ready for the career fair. Um, I think that they were kind of, they were very focused on trying to connect you with like any job or any internship for after you graduate, mm-hmm. you know? And so I don't know what it was like for, you know, like the engineering school or the design school or things like that. But um, for us, it was, you know, like they want to be able to tout a high statistic of like people getting placed in the, into jobs like straight out of the business school. So that's what their metric was. But I, I as much as I rip on career services, I still also wonder, like, if I came to them, was like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, what could they possibly do to help me? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they have a pretty like impossible job, right? <laughs> <laughs> it just has to be there for you know PR purposes. Like they have to have a career services center. Yeah, I think the most that they could maybe do is be like, okay, you know, tell us like you know maybe five areas you're interested in. Maybe we can connect you with people who are already working in that industry, and they can tell you like what their experience is. Yeah, I think that that was that was the sense that I got. But I I came to them being like, but. I don't know what I want to do. And they couldn't, they couldn't do more than give me Myers-Briggs. Yeah. I think the thesis of let's learn, like let's learn more about you as a person is admirable. You know, I think that, but (laughs) it's just funny thinking about like, all right, uh, let's take a Myers-Briggs. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I wonder how much like when 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 most people make these decisions, it's like how much of it is a function of like what you yourself is good at, how much like positive impact you want to make in the world and like what because I just every so I live in this, you know, house that's adjacent to this group house of six Swatties who just graduated and all of them are going through this process of being like, I don't know what I want to do. And it's just like, you know, it's totally impossible because I feel like at this point in my career, I'm just so jaded of being like, yeah, like I, I know you want to do something that's like really effective and work at social impact and like blah, blah, blah. But I've had so many people who had bad experience with nonprofits. I had so many friends, right, who have like had those exact same aspirations. And like, I don't, I still don't really know what is the right answer to give those people, you know? I think it's hard. I think that they might just need to learn themselves, you know? And I think, so part of what I ended up um, like writing about in my personal statement was this idea of like, you know, I, I grew up Catholic and there's this like super like strong, you know, individualistic kind of drive to make the world a better place and like your responsibility and um, kind of you know, this, this charity model of, of engaging with, with the world. Um, and I traced kind of, you know, my life. And when I applied to Swarthmore, I saw that they had a peace and conflict studies department. And I was like, all right, that's objectively like a good thing to study, right? Like that's the right thing. (laughs) Um, like how could I study that and not be helpful? And so, you know, that was my goal going in Swarthmore and then once I was at Swarthmore I had got all these like super ambitious uh savior complex ideas of studying international development and gender and I studied abroad in Uganda and after coming back from Uganda I was like holy shit this this is not like my role this is way bigger than me um it really put me in my place and um i kind of took a step back and i actually kind of did a total 180 um and was like all right so my anthropology focus is going to be figuring out why people want to help like that was i i just totally went inward and decided to study people's motivations to do good um through the lens of like gift giving and reciprocity and like this feeling of obligation um, and then, yeah, and that kind of this, this theme kind of continued. Um, I got an AmeriCorps um, placement after graduating and um, was just generally trying to like fit into this, like, do good, do good, figure out how to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just wasn't working. Like, I wasn't happy. I wasn't finding meaningful work. Um, and very recently when I was talking to a friend about this application process and just generally it's like, how the hell are you supposed to make a difference? Like what is the right thing to do? And she's like, you know, I think ultimately it's about finding what your skills are and what your passions are and then applying those in a productive way because there is no one problem and no one like solution. Yeah, it's about finding what what role you play the best. And so I my minor was nonprofit studies in school. And I 
I'm actually quite grateful for the program because I think it was pretty like, you know, like they, it was pretty good about taking this bunch of kids that was like doing this minor because they want to save the world and being like, all right, dude, like we're going to spend a whole year <clears throat> just learning about all of the ways that the nonprofit sector is completely fucked. And they're like, if you don't, if you take anything from this course, it should be to not start your own nonprofit. <laughs> like, like they're like, please, I'm begging you not to do that. Um, but there is this like, yeah, there's like this kind of cloud of like, I want to help or I want to do good. And I, I think it's easy to kind of get lost in that sauce. And, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is like, just make a lot of money in the private sector and donate it to someone else. <laughs> like it's not all, you know, it's not a one size fits all. I feel like all of us have the, like not all of us, but like, you know, so many people I know have this like, Oh yeah, I need to do something good. But like, there's, there's this, um, like this whole notion of like following your passion. There's this like Cal Newport book. I think it's called something like so good. They can't ignore you. But basically his whole thesis of his book is like, don't, take that advice because like if everyone his example he gives is like when they pull like Canadian kids for example being like oh like what are you most passionate about like 80% of them say hockey right and he's like there's no way 80% <laughs> of like Canadian schoolboys can go on to become hockey players that's just not gonna happen right <laughs> statistically impossible yes totally <laughs> also that's hilarious I know by the way. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I just fucking love hockey, man. I mean, yeah. like <laughs> That's what Canadian boys We're all like. just a product of environment. <laughs> but like, I, it is so perfect. And like, we're just surrounded by this immediate environment that's telling you, okay, there's 101 like massively catastrophic problems that we're going to have to deal with in our lifetimes. Right. And you just sit there and you're like. Oh my God. Like I'm in constant state of like emergency. Like I need to, obviously I need to do something about it, but then it's just sort of like, you know, we've all been sitting in this pandemic, you know, at homes in our, in this pandemic being like, shit, like what, <laughs> how are we supposed to solve this problem? Like how are we supposed to do anything about any of this? And so many people I know who are trying to do things about it, any niche you, you pick, like, because it's so interrelated, you're like, oh, like I had this one friend who was like trying to save the oceans because like she really cared about like coral bleaching and like acidification and all that. And like so many of the regulations that they propose, A, are just like they only get like a tenth of it. And like at the end of the day, she ended up leaving that space because she's like, this is just so depressing because it all just comes down to climate change and we can't just like as an organization fix climate change. So like, what are we doing here? There's this... um. There's this course that I'm taking right now called Mortal, and it's this uh, it's created by Caitlin Doty, who's this founder of the death positive movement. And she's like really influential person in this space. And, um, you know, what is she the YouTuber? Yeah, she's like a YouTube channel. She has a podcast. She has three books. Yeah. She's got like everything that every channel she's she's got something. Um, but. And she does she does it with this other woman, Alua Arthur, and both of them have this notion of like part of reconciling with your own mortality is coming up with like, OK, what am I going to do that's going to give my life meaning? And they have this notion of like your hero's work of like once you started conceiving of your life is like, OK, you're the hero of this story. Like, what's the story going to be about? What are you going to, you know, at the end of your life? Like, what are you going to say? Like, this is the you know what this person did, you know, and I feel like 
you know, their a lot of their their advice on reconciling with your mortality is like figuring out, you know, your everyone is at various stages of figuring out the answer to that question, you know, <laughs> not to make it. 10 times higher stakes <laughs> than it already was. Yeah, for real. You know? <laughs> but it's true. Sick. Like for me, I literally randomly kind of, the I reason the reason I'm working in death care is because I was randomly at uh, an alumni game for our Frisbee team and my friend Jobo was like, hey, you know, my uncle just died and we need to get a casket and we couldn't find an affordable casket. Like you should go fix this problem. And I'm like, okay. And so that's that's what I'm doing now, <laughs> like for the rest of my life. <laughs> Sick. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> but it is literally just random. It's not like I went through any sort of like, you know, involved process where I'm like, OK, what's going to be like the cost benefit analysis of like what's going to be the most effective thing? I was just literally just like, oh, OK, I guess I'll do that. You know, <laughs> so how do you feel like. You you obviously have this. um kind of interest in solving problems and right with human-centered design but my I feel like what I struggle with is is committing to like one thing and and being okay with like because because you know the more the more deeply you dive into it the more effective you can become um but then you there's all this right sunk cost um so like how how do you deal with that? I was like, okay, yeah, now I'm a death doula. Like, that's what I'm interested in. We had um, DeAndre's friend Shrey on to talk about effective altruism and like the effective mm-hmm. altruist community. Are you familiar with it, Via? I am just kind of vaguely familiar. I read some stuff on Reddit about it. Yeah. Yeah, they're basically nice. just like hyper utilitarians. Yeah. Like, how do yeah. you do the most good as possible with like your dollar, with your hour, with your whatever, right? And one of their, and like they have this extremely, almost like cold rationalist approach to it, right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> <laughs> I really like yeah. it. <laughs> like, it really resonates with yeah. me. Yeah. And one of the things that they, you know, talk about is just, you know, yes, you know, what are you best at? And also, like, you know, what problems need solving the most. Um, But I think there's, like, this um, sort of sweet spot of thinking about, like, what problems are they, they, like, for example, give... GiveWell is like this organization that like, you know, tells you what charities to donate to. Right. And one of their metrics in terms of this like whole utilitarian formula is like what projects are doing good work, but are under focused on. Right. So like some of the charities they recommend are not just like, you know, the ones that are giving you the best bang for your buck, but like need could use the marginal dollar more than a huge organization like Red Cross or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that logic was sort of resonated with me when terms of thinking about death care, because there's not a lot of young people innovating in death care. Like death care is just filled is like yet another industry filled with like old white men who run these funeral homes and who control the industry. Right. Right. And I do feel as if there's like way more important problems than death care, like, like climate change and stuff like that. But I do feel like there's also quite a lot of people who know that that's the case and are working on trying to solve that problem, you know? Yeah. And so 
to me, it felt like one of those things where there's also like the study that I read that talks about like if you're really smart, right? Is it better for you to like go to Harvard or is it better for you and like be sort of like either like, you know, middling part of the pond or is it better to yeah, be sort be like of like of- big fish in a small pond and go to like a state school or something? You know what I mean? And I believe the findings of the study is that the people who like sort of like performed best or, or whatever were the people who actually decided to go to the state school instead of like going to Harvard. Hell yeah, brother. You know? <laughs> you know, so I think like that was some of the stuff that informed me being like, oh, like also to me, one of the biggest like factors to look at in terms of like finding a job that you like, like this is one of the main things that I tell people, but it's not actually that useful of a piece of advice is just like, I think the number one most important thing is just finding people who you like working with, right? And it's not a good piece of advice because you can't tell before you join an organization, really, if you're going to like working with those people. Like anyone can make an interview you know, seem, seem fine in an interview, but like when they're stressed out, like you don't want to realize then that like, you know, they're actually terrible to work with, you know? So that's, that's one thing that also really appeals to me about death care because like literally all of the people I've met who work in death care are like incredibly awesome, altruistic people, right? Who are part of the death positive movement because like who wants to work with people who are dying? You know, <laughs> like, like not that many yeah, people. There's, there's some self self selection totally at work here. Totally, totally. So like that's some of the stuff that has made me like, even though this was like basically kind of a random decision, um, feel like this is like a path that I'm cool with committing to because like so many of those boxes have been checked for me in that way. And I feel like we're not taught to look at careers or jobs in that way i think that there there's the kind of obligatory but i think actually very meaningful sentiment of we also you know don't have to have it all figured out right now you know there is time but the grad school thing man that's the hard part it's like (laughs) that's like you know that's an you you know i can't you can't be like oh yeah you can go to grad school and then still figure it out i mean you can but it'll it's a hundred thousand dollar figuring it out challenge Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah well and in my case too it's you know i had a friend kind of questioning my decision by saying you know so you're gonna get so let's say you follow through with this you're gonna get this degree you're gonna be in debt and even though you know you're not necessarily interested in working for these like massive companies you're gonna your hands are going to be tied if you want to get out of debt. So you're going to have to- yeah, you will then have much more pressure to get a high exactly. job. Uh, Bia, thank you so much. For sitting down with us and you know getting a little vulnerable and sharing your path of still figuring shit out as we like move along <laughs> <laughs> so i wanted this is completely irrelevant from our our topic of conversation so do you have a lot of like chicago hometown pride no <laughs> no no not at all my, my family have- embarrassed by that actually <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> like they have a lot of pride and you're like i don't really care about this i'm just like i for my whole life i think i've been telling them how much i can't wait to leave so <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna ask you if you have any 
favorite regional foods? Um, well, like Midwestern Chicago. There foods. is the Portillo's chocolate cake. I don't know. Interesting. I've never heard of that one. Oh yeah. I know of the Portillo's Italian beefs, but I don't know about the chocolate. I cake. had a friend um, in Salt Lake who had. I think her parents like literally sent her slices of it. Um. Yeah. Wow. And I was excited to have some too because. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, like I, I was like expecting something like kind of generic, like deep dish or like I don't know something like that. But that's that's something that I did not. That's a real insider tip. That's an insider. Next time we go to Chicago, Dandre, we gotta go. Yeah. Get a beef and a cake. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well. Once again, thank you so much. This is your time. Do you have anything that you want to plug? <laughs> oh, God. No, I've actually been off of social media for a really long time now. God willing, all of us can get there. <laughs> Just like... Yeah. yeah. The plug is to, get to off social limit media. your social media. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, this is a whole other conversation, but my... Um, I've been off, and since I've been living at home, I'm like, shit, I actually am not engaged with people as much as I want to be. And so I'm probably going to reactivate my like social media account just so I can connect with people. Um, then you actually have the need to literally like fulfill your social yeah, I, like interactions I with people. And that's what I don't have community. And I've just noticed how like how much I actually miss it. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a complicated relationship and I definitely want to, I don't know. Ease back into it. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of socials, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you can find us at I'm the villain pod. That's our our Twitter, our Instagram and our Gmail. Otherwise, bye everyone.